This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. For more information about Coastal Community Church, please visit coastalcommunity.tv. Well, good morning, Coastal. How are you guys doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. Hey, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us as we've been in this series called Happily Ever After, just talking about how do we have healthy relationships and what does that look like for our lives. And let me just say something. If you missed the first two weeks, I want to encourage you to go uh, to the website, check out our media section, go back, listen to those messages. I think that they'll be really, really helpful for you when it comes to relationships. If you guys want to go ahead and turn to your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, we're going to be hanging out there today. And while you're doing that, um, I, I just want to kind of talk a little bit because I think today we're going to go in a little bit of a different direction today and we're going to talk about um, what I believe it means to be a man uh, especially when it comes to the Bible and, uh, and and some women apparently already are happy about that and so um, you know because they're like I'm looking for one of those and um, you know I, I was really blown away last week last week I said I just took a little survey like how many single people do we have like I want to say probably like 60% of our church is single and uh particularly probably of that 60% that's single, like probably 75% of those are single ladies. And so like, I'm just telling you, if you're a single dude, you are at the right church. Uh, You are in the right place. I mean, this is a place where you could definitely find a spouse um, if you're looking and if you apply some of these principles. But what I was thinking about is I was thinking about like, what is my idea of a man? You know, like what is the idea of, what is the perception I have of what society says a man is? And I remember being a kid, uh, my idea of a man was a guy who drove a Trans Am. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, and, and today, if you drive a Trans Am, you're a redneck. But when I was growing up, if you drove a Trans Am, like uh, Smokey and the Bandit, you, anybody remember Smokey and the Bandit? Like Burt Reynolds back in the day? Like, that was a man. Like, if you would unbutton your shirt to about here and you let some chest hair kind of dangle out like this, like, you were a man. That was a man. And, uh, you know, that's what society defined as, as a man. And then, you know, over time, it, it's changed a little bit. Like, if you have a chest hair sticking out and stuff today, they're going to be like, you need to go wax that, and then you would be a man. And so, like, it's changed a little bit, and, and nobody drives Trans Ams today. So uh, if you do, we'll pray for you. Um, and then, you know, uh, you know, you think about a man, how it's defined by movies. You, you, think, about, you think about a movie like 300. Anybody, anybody a big fan of 300 out there? Like, if you've done like the 300 workout, let me just tell you, you are the man, okay? Um, like, that is like a man. Or, or Braveheart, Mel Gibson, like that dude. Like, that's a man. If you're a dude and your favorite movie is The Notebook, like, we probably need to beat you with a notebook because you're not a man, okay? Or if Twilight is like one of your highlights, don't ever tell another guy that, okay? Like, that is just, that's not manly. And I know some of you guys are like, oh, man, that's my favorite movie. Okay, that's not cool. Because that's like, that's not what a man is. Like, a man is like gladiator, you know? And you're going out there and you're battling, you're, you're killing some stuff. And, and like, you're heroic. That, that's like the idea of a man, according to the movies. And, you know, the, the only problem with that is that those guys are actors. And uh, they're not real. That isn't real. That is make-believe. And most of those dudes aren't really, really awesome dudes anyways. And then, 
you know, the church has, has kind of messed up what a man is. And if you, if you grown up around church at all, like the idea of a man at church was, was really a, a pretty passive guy. It was a guy who was, who was there but was virtually absent because his wife was the one who really wore the pants. And so if that dude ever stepped up and said anything, like his wife was going to beat him down. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? I notice most of you guys are silent because you know that, that that woman, when you get home, she's like, boy, you better be glad you didn't say anything because you know you'll get beat down. Church defined man. And then, then my favorite is the, is the single guy at church, the single Christian guy. You're, you're like the weird guy. Like, have you, ever, have you ever met the single Christian guy that always has like a Christian t-shirt on? Like everywhere he goes, like he's represented. In fact, in my old church, it was a guy. Um, and and he, like, he was awkward. He always had the awkward, con- like, hey, Pastor TJ, he'd have these awkward conversations with me. And one day he goes, let me show you something. And he unbuttoned his shirt and he had shaved a fish into his chest. And I was like, that is weird. Like you, when you go to the beach and you take off your shirt and you've got like the Christian fish on your chest, like girls aren't like, man, that guy is really devoted. They're like, that dude is weird, you know? And like, like he is really justified and sanctified, overcome by the blood of the land. Like that's not what they're thinking. They're like, man, what is wrong with that guy? Why does he have a fish shaved into his chest? And, and so, you know, like, like I understand like you love Jesus, but that's just weird. Stop it. Okay. Um, and then, like, a couple years ago, there was this big men's movement in, in the church realm called Promise Keepers. And, and like, I, I like Promise Keepers. It was a cool thing until, like, near the end. The last one I went to was right here um, at, at the, um, the TD Bank or whatever it is now, whatever bank owns it now, uh, municipality thing over here where the, the Panthers play hockey at. And uh, I remember going to it and it became like a cry fest and uh, guys like hugging one another. And that just like, like, it's cool to do like the man hug. You all know what the man hug is, right? You, you come in, you give two bumps and then you let go, right? That's the man hug. Like, and, and so like you come in, two bumps, let go. If there's anything longer, we're going to question it. Okay. And so it's, it's, and so like there's, but they wanted to get around and like cry on each other and kumbaya and like that's just not being uh, like, my, at least for me, it's not my definition of being a man. And so today I want to look at what a man is according to, to God's word and really define that for us and, and really look at some principles that Paul is talking to his, his young apprentice named Timothy. And Timothy is the leader of the church of Ephesus. And so Paul is writing to encourage him as, as the man that's leading that, that city and that congregation and that church and that community of believers. He says, man, I want to I help you be a man. And today I want to look at four things that I believe a man is. And uh, the first one is this. A man is willing to handle his finances properly. He's willing to handle money properly. And in verse uh, 11 there, it says this, and this is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all this. Now, this is pretty important that he goes and he says, hey, you, man of God, because in the New Testament, the, you, the word man of God, like referring to a person is not really used very often. And in fact, it, it, it's really virtually never used in the New Testament. But right here, Paul is referring to Tim and Timothy, and he's saying, hey, listen, you're a man of God. In the Old Testament, they used to refer to this all the time. When you would look at Moses and his life, they would refer to him as the man of God because he had this close relationship with God. He was exemplifying the traits of what God was in leading people. And Paul here is exhorting Timothy, and he's saying, hey, listen, you're a man of God. But listen, because you're a man of God, there's some things you need to run from. There's some things you need to run from in your life. And I know some of you guys are thinking to yourself, like, man, I'm a man. I don't run from 
anything. Listen, there's some things you need to run from. Like sexual immorality is probably something as a man you need to run from. The Bible tells us very clearly that, man, when there is these temptations and these things, instead of staying in those situations and saying, man, I'm strong enough, I can make it through this, we need to be like Joseph in the Old Testament when, when Hotifer came and tried to seduce him. He took off and bolted out of that joint, like leaving clothes and everything because he knew that he had to run from sexual immorality. But he goes on to say, listen, there's some other things that you should run from, and you got to pay attention to what Paul is telling Timothy here, what is he saying? What are the things that are all this? What are the things that are all the things that you need to run from? And so we're going to go back a little bit to verse 6, and we're going to read, and he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Like, that's pretty true. Like, if you're, if you're content with things, man, that's pretty good. That's good stuff. Like, if you could just be content in life, that would be a pretty good gain for our lives. And he continues on, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. Like, whether you believe the Bible or not, that's a pretty true statement. Like, you were brought into this world, and you're going to leave this world, and whatever you acquire in here, you know, he who acquires the most amount of toys still dies. You know, he doesn't get to take those with him. And so, that's pretty true. And he goes on to say, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. In other words, listen, you're going to struggle in this life, but if you can get a job, and you can provide for your family, and you can have a house, like, that's a pretty, pretty good deal. And he says, those who want to get rich. Now, this is where people get really excited because they're like, yeah, TJ, man, give it to those rich people. Give it to them. Just suck it to them because they're all evil. You know, they're bad people. And, and, and right away, we think anybody that's rich is evil. And, and I think the reason we think that is because we have a misconception of what being rich is. We have such a jacked up view of being what rich is. We think rich is driving down to Los Olas and driving down towards the beach and seeing all those mega yachts with mega mansions and thinking those people are rich. And then we look at our lives and we say, man, we're, we're poor. But the reality is, and, and this is what I want us to do, I want us to change a little bit of perspective because here's the deal. There's a little bit over 7 billion people on the face of the earth. I checked this morning. There's like 7 billion, 100 million and something and some change. So there's a lot of people on this earth. If you make $40,000 a year household income, you're wealthier than 95% of the people on this planet. So if you have a household income of $40,000, you have greater wealth than 95% of the people on this planet. Here's what's even crazier. If you have a household income of $50,000 or greater, you're in the top 1% of income earners in the world. Top 1%. Like, I would think that that would define us as rich. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks that, but statistically speaking, by the world's standards, we're all rich. And he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, I know some of you guys are like, now, TJ, man, why do, you, why do you always got to talk about men and money? Why does men and money always go together? Because you want to know why? Because men have a tendency to throw themselves into destruction running after money. They ruin a lot of things running after that. And it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of people of evil. Now, notice it doesn't say there for the, the love of money is evil. It says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not evil. It's when it becomes a love for us, when it becomes the heart of everything. It says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What kind of griefs do you ask? Man, we've seen a lot of men give up their integrity for money. We've seen a lot of guys lose their families running after 
uh, more money. They, we've seen kids that hate their fathers because all their father has been consumed with is rate going up on the corporate ladder. We've seen houses torn apart, husbands separated from their wives because money has become their God and has become the number one in their lives, and it's pierced them with all kinds of griefs. And now, now what I've found with guys is there's p- two particular attitudes that come about when we talk about money, and, and guys have these two attitudes. The first attitude that a lot of guys have is they are very passive about money. Guys have a tendency to be pretty passive about money, specifically single guys. Single guys talking about money and work have a pretty big tendency to be passive because for some reason, and I don't really understand this, single dudes just refuse to get a job. Single dudes, let me just talk to you. I I don't understand it. Listen, if you're out there and you lost your job, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about people that refuse to get a job. They refuse to go out and work hard and earn an income and do those things. Because listen, 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 I know some of you single guys, you madly want a girl. And listen, no girl that's following after Jesus is looking for a guy who has only conquered his PlayStation. I'm just telling you, like, they're not like, man, can I come over and watch you get on the next level of Zelda? (laughs) And if a girl is saying that to you guys, like, that girl's weird. You need to run. Like, that's the girl you need to flee from right there. Seriously. You got to get a job. You got to provide. Now, I I know right in here, this is where all the single guys get on me and be like, Pastor DJ, why are you always going to be talking about jobs? Why are you always going to be pushing us to to have work and stuff, man? It's it's cool living in our parents' uh, bedroom until we're 35. I mean, that is sexy. Girls are attracted to that. Here's why. 1 Timothy 5, 8, just a chapter before, it says this. It says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You want to know why you need to get a job? Because if you're not providing for yourself, and let alone those that you're going to eventually have in your family, you know what you are? You're worse than an unbeliever. That isn't something I'm coming up with. That's exactly what Paul says to you. You got to go get a job but I want a girlfriend. Listen, she's not attracted to to a guy that doesn't have a job. This is not the ask out that she wants. Like, hey, you want to go out on a date? Dutch? I'll buy dinner, you buy the movie? Like, girls aren't jumping out of the woodwork being like, man, that's the guy I want to date. Are they? Think about it. Think about it back in the very beginning. Genesis chapter 2. Adam From day one, he had a job. You know what his job was? His job was naming the animals. And when God saw that he could do that well enough, you know what he did? He gave him a gift called Eve. Listen, God's not going to give you a gift called a spouse until you use the gifts that he's already given you. And some of you guys, you need to man up and stop being passive and go out there and get a job. Now, I know some of the ladies are sitting here thinking, oh, man, this is where, this is where he's going to talk about, like, women shouldn't work. And No, I don't, I don't believe that at all. I, like, I don't have a problem with women working. In fact, if you look in Proverbs 31, which is like the epitome of the ultimate woman, that woman had jobs. She was buying and selling fields, man. She was thought of in high esteem in the business world of their community. Like, it's cool for women to have jobs, but this is what I know. Men, if you're not the provider, if you're not providing for your family, then biblically, it's out of order. Biblically, it's messed up. 
And then listen, I know, I know some, some people don't like that, but here's what I do know. You know, some of you guys, your dream in life is that you can be a house husband. Like you just want her to take care of you. You want to do all those things. Let me just tell you something. Like at the end of the day, that might be cool in the beginning, but a few years in, she is going to resent you. Because at the heart of every woman is the desire to be taken care of. And she's going to be looking at you saying, you know what? Like, I want so much more out of my man than for him to be passive and submissive. Because at the end of the day, what a woman wants to know is that her man will do whatever it takes to provide for that home. And some of you guys, man, you're passive right now when it comes to money. And it's, it's one of the reasons why, why the divorce rate in America is so high. And one of the reasons is, is because communication, particularly communication about money, and because guys won't address this and they don't want to talk about what's going on in finances because they're passive, marriages are failing every day. And it's time for some of us to man up and stop being passive when it comes to our finances. Now, on the flip side of that, the other side of that is, is guys have a tendency to be passionate about money. Man, guys can be very, very passionate about finances, and they love money. And, and how you know that is they define themselves by what they own. Man, I drive a, a Bentley with 22s. I live on Las Olas. Man, I do this. I have this kind of job. And they define themselves by their things. Well, well, Pastor DJ, what's wrong with having stuff? There's nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong with having things. It's when those things have you. That becomes the problem. When that becomes your passion, when that becomes your motivation in life, then everything is out of whack because what will happen is, is you become passionate about acquiring things, and what happens is your spouse just becomes another asset that you acquire. And it's not something you're going to continue to invest in because once you have it, you have it, and you're moving on to the next thing because you're passionate about that thing. Single ladies, you want to you wanna know how you can, you can find out a lot about the heart of a guy? Ask him if he ties. Go out on a date and say, hey, do you tithe? Because that right there is going to tell you where his heart is and what he is passionate about. Because this is what I know. That guy, if he doesn't tithe, you know what he's, oh man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm generous and I'm all this. And, and I found that people that, are, that say that, what that means is that, man, I don't trust God. That he's not number one in my life. Because if he does, if he says, man, I do tithe, and man, I trust God, then you know that that's a guy that's heart is after God, whose heart will eventually be after you. And some of you guys are like, well, but, but he's got nice stuff. Listen. His heart will be revealed by his money. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, where your money is, there your heart will be also. And he can tell you all day long that he's, he's passionate about his things, but his wallet would tell you he's a freaking liar. And so we got to look and we got to understand that, man, we've got to know what's going on with our money. Are we passive about it or are we passionate about it? Or, or do we have a good balance there? And guys, we have got to settle this issue for our life. How are we going to handle our finances? The second thing a man is willing to do, a man is willing to pursue. A man is willing to pursue. You know, um, 
I, I've known Shayla since we were about uh, 11 years old. Our families were really, really good friends. And, and at about at the age of 13, like I hit that puberty stage and maybe I was a late bloomer or something, I don't know. But at 13, like all of a sudden, like sh my eyes opened up and I realized that Shayla was a girl. And uh, like, she wasn't just another uh, a boy out there, you know, playing basketball and stuff. And like, all of a sudden I was like, man, that girl is hot. And I would, and uh, our families would go and hang out together. And, and she and I, she, we'd go outside and we'd play basketball for hours. We would never say a word to each other, but we would play basketball. And I would try to school her and show her moves, trying to impress her. And, 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 and our parents would be inside laughing all along. But all of a sudden, there's this love that just started coming into my heart. And all, I, man, I was passionate about Shayla. Like I would do anything in the world for her to pay one ounce of attention to me. And she never would, which made it even worse. And so, man, I I just started falling madly in love. In fact, I can remember taking her on the first date that we ever went on. It w we went to go see Dumb and Dumber. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> spitting game right there, you know. When they got to the snowman scene, I was like, oh, man, I'm in love, you know. And, like, I was like, this is, like, the greatest date ever. And uh, right after that, she broke up with me. And so it was, I was devastated. I was devastated, and, and, and my parents were divorced, and so I lived with my dad, and, and she lived in Bradenton, and my dad lived in Fort Myers. My mom lived there, and so, so I went back to my dad's house, and I was, I was distraught. Like I, I, like, I was messed up, and I started writing her notes and writing her letters. In fact, I brought one of them with me here today that I thought I would share a little bit and because, man, I was about pursuing Shayla, and I won't read it all to you, but I, I just thought this was good. Uh, you know, I was, I was pretty awesome. I wrote, I would be willing to do anything for you. I would climb the highest peaks. I would swim the deepest seas. I would cross the desert land. I would do anything for you because my love for you is unconditional. Man, I was, I was spitting game, baby. Spitting game, pursuing, double spaced, double spaced cursive. Mailing her love notes. I even wrote a poem at the end that I won't share with you because it's a, no, no, I'm, <laughs> oh man, cheesiness is right here, but I'm telling you this, guys, if you can get this secret right here, it says, I wrote this poem for you, even though it sounds dumb, I will always try to, the best for you, it said, roses are red, violets are blue, Shayla, you are so beautiful, and know what? I love you. She never responded to this. <laughs> she kept it. That's right. There's a whole box of it, all this junk, and it's amazing. But you know what? I pursued Shayla. I pursued her. From the day I decided, like, that's the girl for me, man, I was like, I was pursuing her. Not creepy pursuing her, but pursuing her. Okay, 1 Timothy 6.11 says this, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, which are all qualities of women that we'll talk about next week. So women, you got to come back next week. Guys, you got to come back next week because we're going we're gonna to beat up women next week. So you want to bring them back, okay? Uh, but... but right there, Paul says to Timothy, listen, pursue. Who is commanded to pursue? The guy is commanded to pursue. The guy is commanded to pursue the woman. 
Single dudes, you know what? You are commanded to pursue. You're commanded to pursue the woman. Think about it. He, Genesis chapter 2. Adam's asleep. He puts Eve there. God wakes up Adam, and what does he do? He sees Eve, and he goes after her. Like, God didn't have to say, hey, that's a woman right there. You should go talk to her. Like, he woke up, and he saw Eve naked, which is, guys, if you wake up, and there's a naked girl next to you, and that's your wife, that's a good day. You can write that down, okay? <laughs> he wakes up, he sees her, and bam, he's after her, like white on rice. You want to know why? Because we are called to pursue. Proverbs 18.22, it says, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. You know, in order to find something, you gotta be looking for it. You gotta be pursuing it. You gotta be out there going after that. And the, part of the problem is, is that a lot of guys have is that we're asleep just like Adam is. And God is waking us up and saying, hey, she's right here and we're going, oh man, I just want her to come to me. And no, when God is telling us, you know what? We gotta get up and we gotta pursue that woman. You are called to pursue her. She isn't called to pursue you. But, but TJ, why, why, why do I, I got to go out to her for a date? Because you're called to pursue. Let me tell you what pursuit is not. Pursuit is not texting a girl. Hey, you want to go out? LOL. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? I don't, I, I still haven't figured that out. Anyways, or Twittering her, like, at whatever and giving her some obscure message or writing some weird stuff on her Facebook, like hoping that she'll maybe respond to your weirdness of that you're posting on her wall. Like that is not pursuit. Pursuit is picking up the phone and calling up. Pursuit is not sending your friend over to ask her if she's interested in you like you were in first grade, okay? That is not pursuit. Pursuit is you getting up and saying, hey, what's up, babe? <laughs> maybe not babe. In fact, man, I thought, luckily Shayla helped me out here, but I thought about giving every single dude here two marbles today because it might be the only set you ever get because you need to get up and pursue her. <laughs> but we are doing a series next year called Grow a Pair, and so y'all better show up for that. I'll, we'll help you out, dudes, become a man in this place. Man, ask her out. Ask her out. But, but she might say no. Listen, I got turned down more times from Shayla than, than the Holiday Inn turned down sheets and I was still okay. <laughs> it worked out okay. You might get turned down, big deal. Don't be passive, go and pursue. Guys, once you get married, you better pursue your wife still. Women, that was the spot where you were supposed to say amen right there. I guess y'all don't like dates and flowers and all those things. You like, like, you like being treated like dirt. No. Man, you, the same thing. Listen, listen. If you pursued her as hard as you did when you were dating, as you're now when you're married, there would never be a divorce in America. Because, guys, we are called to pursue. Now, now, single ladies ask me this all the time, like, well, well what, if, what if I like a guy? Can, can I let him know? Listen, you can let him know one time. And you could say something like this. You could say, listen, you could walk up to him and say, listen, if you were to ask me out, I would say yes. 
That's all you ever got to say. If you pursue him more than that, listen, by the time you guys start dating and when you get married, you'll have to pursue him for the rest of your life because he was never after you. Guys, we're called to pursue. We're called to pursue. The third thing there is, is, is a man is willing to fight. Now, I, I love it when we talk about fighting because right away I think about like MMA. I think about like high school fights. Anybody remember high school fights? Like when a high school fight went down, like somebody yelled out fight, like every dude took off towards wherever that fight was, didn't they? Like girls would just be like, oh, whatever. But you know what the best fight in high school was? Is it was girls fighting. Like you see girls fight. Like those girls are vicious, man. They will kill another person. Like it isn't claws out. It's like hatchets out. Like they will rip people to shreds. And, and like, and, and we got to fight for our marriages. That's why in 1 Timothy 6, 12, it says, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Guys, this is a question I have for us. Are we willing to fight for the, her, the heart of the woman that we say that we love? Are we willing to fight for the heart of that woman? There's two areas that I believe we have to fight in. The first one is this area of commitment. We've got to fight in this area of commitment. And ladies, let me just ask you this. Is, is the God that you're seeing right now, is he slacking and making you feel special like he used to? Think about it, you're dating a guy or maybe you're engaged and all of a sudden you're starting to see him start to slack on some of the things that won your heart. Is he slacking in those areas? Married dudes, are you slacking in the areas of, of going out there and fighting for your marriage and doing the things that are necessary to make your marriage better? Because this is what I know, ladies, especially you single ladies and you ladies that are engaged right now, is you think, oh, you know what? It'll get better when we get married. Man, it'll ramp right back up. And let me just tell you something right now. It's just gonna tone further and further down. And every single lady is going, yeah, I know. Because it's true. And we gotta make a choice and continue to fight for that relationship. Well, well how do I know if he's slacking on a date? Or if he's slacking in those areas. Hey, when you're on a date, is he on a date with you or is he on a date with his phone? Like I know, I see this all the time. Like guys and girls are out on a date and the dude is sitting there, he pulls out his phone and he's got the most beautiful woman in the world in front of him and he's, he's twittering his friends. He's looking to check up with people that he doesn't even know to see what's going on in their lives. He could have the most amazing conversation that could radically transform his life with the, the person that he says he loves more than anything else sitting across from him, but he'd rather listen to people that don't even know him. Listen, this is what I know, dudes. When you're on a date with your wife or you're on a date with your girlfriend or you're on your date with uh, your fiance, the world can live without you for two hours. I promise society will still be there when you finish that date. I tried it this week just to make sure. Like I went on a date with my wife on Thursday night and uh, we, we went to down to Delray Beach and went to the, uh, some oyster place down there and they had some fish tacos and it was amazing. And the entire time I've kept my, my phone in my back pocket. The entire night, I never took my phone out to look at it one time the entire time we were out. Because you wanna know why? I wanted to make sure that it was possible that we could not go through an entire date and survive without our phone going off. I just wanted to see that it was possible, and it is. And the reality is, is that person that you said, man, I'm gonna give my heart to, deserves all of your attention because you're committed to that relationship. The area B there that we need to check out is a, the area of conflict. And this is a big one for, for ladies, like, because here's the reality. 
If you see something going on in his life that's not right, are you able to confront him and talk about that area without him blowing up? Are you able to say like, hey, you know what? I see something that's kind of a little bit off and I just wanted to talk to you about what's going on. What happens when you do that? Does he, does he shrink back or does he blow up? Is he able to share the things of his heart or is he hiding those things from you? Because this is what I know. For guys, what we do is a lot of guys, what we do when we're confronted with things is we blow up, don't we? And we yell and we scream and you wanna know why we do that? Because for us, it's how we can dominate that conversation. You know what the reality is? Is, is that's just verbal abuse. Just verbal abuse. And some of you guys are using that to intimidate the person you're dating, using it to intimidate the person that you're engaged to, using it to intimidate your spouse because you know that you can shut them down emotionally by raising your voice. You know that you're able to control that conversation. I know some of you will go, well, well that's just the way that I am. Well, that sucks. Man, that's horrible that that's just the way you are because here's what I know. If I went out and I broke my leg, I wouldn't just walk around with a limp and drag it behind me. I'd go to the doctor and fix that. You know what? Some of you guys, you got some attitude things going on. You need to go someplace and get those things fixed because there's some conflict in your relationship that you need to learn how to deal with and apparently you're not able to, to submit to somebody that you say that you give your heart to that's looking out for your best interests to try to help you. You explode at them rather than listen to them and their willingness to try to help you. Man, we've got to fight. We've got to fight to keep the heart of that woman at the center of our relationship. And in order to do that, I believe that we have to do number four, which is a man is willing to identify himself with Jesus. We've got to be willing to identify her, ourselves with Jesus. In 1989, uh, my dad took me to my first college football game. And uh, any, any college football fans out there? College football, yeah. Like, heaven is back on earth now that college football is back playing right now. And so, like, man, I, I'm jacked up. I'm a huge Notre Dame fan. And my dad got us tickets in 1989 to the Notre Dame University of Miami game at the Orange Bowl and and like it was a like a highlight of my life to the up to that point I'm a huge Notre Dame fan Rocket Ishmael was like the man at that point in time and like I was a huge Rocket fan and and so we're he got tickets to the game I don't know he paid an exorbitant amount of money in 1989 and so he got these tickets and my uncle got these tickets for us and he lived down here in Miami and so we show up to the game and the tickets that he happened to get us were right in the middle of the the U section you know where everybody's buck wild crazy for the U and being being a kid that's a huge Notre Dame fan I show up wearing the blue and gold representing, you know, like the reality is that somebody should have probably gone and told my dad like, hey, listen, you're gonna be in the middle of the Miami section. This is what you should do. You should actually wear like orange and um, maybe white and show up there and, and you, you cheer when Miami does a good thing. And then like inside when Notre Dame scores and like beats the crap out of them, like you just go crazy inside. Uh, but don't show any emotion outside because, like, you're in the middle of the you section and, and like, you're going to have a beer or 27, Dad. And uh, TJ, you're going to go crazy because you're just an obnoxious little kid that's at his first football game and you're going to do whatever. And so, like, you should probably not identify yourself with the team that you love. 
Like that would have been the wise thing to do, but I show up decked out in Notre Dame, foam finger, everything. I'm like, I'm going crazy. Like Notre Dame comes out, I'm going crazy. Everybody else is sitting down, they're booing and stuff. I'm like, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, I'm fighting Irish. You know, going crazy. My dad's right there with me, already drunk off his butt, and he's going crazy too. Like he's, we're ready to fight, you know. We'll fight anybody. And so uh, we went there to be identified with our team. We're fans of Notre Dame, and we're going to represent no matter what. We ended up getting beat 27-10. I mean, that's another story, but uh, for another day. I know it's horrible. It's one of the few times Miami's been good. So, um, hey, uh, yeah, I forgot you a whole bunch. You loser. Yeah, anyways, <laughs> we got to identify with Jesus. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life for which you were called when you were made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He said he made this good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In essence, he, he as a man, he took a stand for what he believed in. He identified himself with, with Christ. And see, what's happening here is, is everybody knew who Paul identified with and Paul identified with Christ and everybody knew who Timothy identified with because Timothy identified with Christ. And what Paul is doing right here is he's challenging the people like, hey, who are you gonna identify yourself with? Who are you gonna be? Are you just gonna get sucked into the crowd or are you gonna stand out from the crowd? Because we're not called to be a part of the crowd. We're called to stand out from the crowd. And, and right here, Paul is, is telling us, man, what are you gonna do? Who are you gonna identify yourself with? Who are you going to identify yourself with? Single ladies, you want to know who I, that guy that you're dating identifies himself with? When you are on a date, ask him to tell you about how he found Christ. Man, he'll either shut right up or he'll light up and tell you all about that. And first of all, you should probably already know ahead of time if he's a follower of Christ or not. But that right there is going to tell you where he stands and who he identifies himself with. Because this is what I know. If he won't tell you about his experience with Christ when you're married one day, he's not going to tell your kids about it. You've got to identify yourself with Christ. Man, you've got to ask yourself like this. Is he willing to lead like Jesus. That's how he's going to identify himself with Christ. Because this is what I know about Jesus. Jesus always led people to the place where they needed to go. He never led anybody to compromise. Ladies, let me ask you a question. Is the guy you're seeing right now, is he leading you to compromise? Is he leading you to places and to do things that you never really wanted to do? Is he the kind of God that's, that's trying to take you home to his bedroom rather than take you home to meet his parents? See, if that guy's leading you to compromise, that, guy, that isn't a guy who's going to lead you like Jesus is. And if that's how he is, man, you need to drop that dude like it's hot right now. Just telling you, drop that dude. Is he leading like Jesus? Man, we've got to fight the good fight of faith, man. We can't give in to those temptations. And finally, is he serving like Jesus? Is he serving you like Jesus? You know how to tell when a, a marriage is going really, really well is when the wife thinks that it's all about her. That's how you know when a marriage is going really, really well. Is when you talk to a, a woman who's married and she knows that, man, she is the apple of her husband's eye and that anything he says and he does is to better her life. And this is something, man, I've been, I've been trying to work on really big time because for the most of our marriage, Shayla has given up 
her dreams and her goals to make my dreams and my goals happen in life. And then about three years ago, I went to her and I said, man, it's, it's time for us to start making some of your goals happen. It's time for us to start making some of your dreams happen. And we started uh, shifting our life. And, we, and, and the conversations that we have now are not like, man, what are we going to do to like build the church? In fact, that's, that's not the, the normal conversation for us. The normal conversation for us is like, Shayla, what has God called you to? And how can I help you fulfill that? How can I be a support system in the purpose and plan that God has for your life? You want to know why? Because I want to serve my wife. Because my life is about serving her. I went to a wedding one time. And uh, this is an amazing wedding. And, you know, typical wedding, you know, the vows and all the things. You got the pastor there. And there's a whole bunch of people. And after they went through the vows and they exchanged rings, typically what happens at a wedding uh, for most people, is they do communion right there. But this wedding was a little bit different, and, and it, it's always struck me because this guy, instead of going straight to communion, he stepped back from his new bride and bent down and lifted up underneath the table. There was a basin with water. He took it out and he said, you know, I want our life to be like Jesus with his disciples, how he served them and he washed their feet. And he got down on his hands and knees. He started washing his wife's feet. And he said, for the rest of my life, I want to serve you. I want to love you unconditionally. I want to make your dreams come true. And I know this guy really, really well and for the majority of his life, man, that's exactly what he has tried to do. He hasn't been perfect, but man, he's tried really, really hard throughout the process to serve, to be like Jesus. Because being like Jesus is truly how we Define being a man. This is what I know today. I know that a lot of you guys, you feel like, man, he just came to beat us up here today. Beat us up about what we're not and what we haven't accomplished. And listen, I didn't come here to beat us up today, guys. I came here to challenge us. Came here to challenge us to be more, to do more, to look at our lives in the areas where we're not succeeding and say, you know what, what are some things that I need to do differently so that I can lead my home the way that Jesus would. And that starts with serving first. And I know some of you guys, you, you listen to this and today you feel like a failure because you've messed up in life. And listen, messing up in life does not make you a failure. Quitting makes you a failure. And it's really easy just to quit and walk out and say, man, I'll just go start over. But the best marriage that you possibly have in your life is the one that you already have. The best marriage that you singles have is the one that you're going to prepare for today. How are you going to prepare? And I would challenge you guys, I would challenge you to do these things. To get your money right. To pursue that woman. To fight for that woman. And to identify yourself with Jesus that will make all those other things work. Let's pray.
This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. For more information about Coastal Community Church, please visit coastalcommunity.tv. Thank you.